It's Advent. It's Christmas. The jumpers are breaking out. I've gone for my kind of typical, kind of fairly tasteful, I would say, subtle entry. And we'll progressively ramp it up over the course of the month. Some like to go loud and proud instantly. Others are uh, less inclined to do so. But wherever you're at, it's Christmas and it's Advent. And we're looking forward to celebrating the, the birth of Christ together. And as we come into this season, I really feel that this series, Just Jesus, uh, is to continue but of course with a, a, a Christmas twist. And so our desire this month really is just to keep talking about how awesome Jesus is. And around 700 years before the birth of Christ, God allows an Old Testament prophet by the name of Isaiah to catch a glimpse as he begins to speak to him about how beautiful, awesome, wonderful, Amazing is the coming birth of Christ going to to be in a season, interestingly, that as you look at it historically, that's been shaped by turmoil and by fear. God begins to point them forward to a manger in a stable as the moment that would shift and change everything. You know, fast forward all those years to now into a culture, into a time which has a tremendous amount of turmoil and fear kicking around. God is still pointing us to the birth of his son, Jesus, to his death, to his resurrection. And so Isaiah begins to see something. God, this prophecy begins to emerge as Isaiah catches this glimpse of, of how awesome, how awesome the birth of Christ is going to be. And he speaks there. You'll know well-known familiar verses. He speaks there. And, and God, as God reveals to him in advance, four of Jesus' names. Four names that will belong to him. And I know you may have heard this before, but it, it's worth, uh, worth repeating that, you know, names were not chosen then like they're chosen now. You know, generally nowadays, you know, we choose our names on the, on the basis of personal preference, don't we? Likes or dislikes. I don't know if those of you who have children uh, have, have kind of encountered the same kind of journey as we did, but navigating the whole naming process of your children can be quite an interesting challenge. One of you names a name, and that, that brings up an association with somebody someone knew once called that, and you're like, no, I can't have that name. Or you name a name of an ex-girlfriend, no way can we name our child that. You know, and, uh, and uh, I don't want you to think there was many names that Claire suggested <laughs> that were associated with that, but um, you just kind of know that one's off limit, or you say, no, you can't. No, we can't call our child that. I knew a really weird person once who had that name. And, and so kind of they're off limits by virtue of association. And so there's those of us who can find choosing names hard, but there's others you wonder if they've actually even thought about it when they chose the, uh, when they chose the name. Just this last week, I, I kid you not, we'll put a, bit, a few things up just for a little bit of fun. I literally, I promise you, I read just this week about uh, a lady who was called Eileen. And if we put the first one up, Jonathan, if that's okay. She was called Eileen. Her surname was Wright. Eileen Wright. I mean, who calls you know, your child that. Some of you are still trying to catch on with what the problem is. But, um, 
that sent me on a, just a brilliant bit of fun. I mean, this is what you pay me to do. Go on a Google rabbit hole to any kind of, you know, like this is what Daryl does as a pastor of the church in his time. Let's have a little bit of a Google and see what great kind of real names exist out there. I found a guy called Sad Man, um, and so felt quite sorry for him. And uh, my absolute favorite, I mean, if you use Christian dating sites, this is an absolute corker. Genuine Christian guy. I mean, <laughs> right there. Uh, I love that one. So if, you know, if my daughter rings me up and says, I met a guy called Christian Guy, I'm like, yes, right. Uh, another fella, you may not have such an issue with this one. You might think, what's the problem with that? So I came across a guy called Les McBurney. Okay, I think there's nothing problem with that. Apart from, I genuinely promise this is true, he was a fire chief in America. So if you're possessing a name as a fire chief in America of Les McBurney, then there's a little bit of problem. And a woman called Helen who married a guy and chose only to take his surname which was back, Helen back. So I think that's the kind of like, you, you're thinking, I don't know if that was true after 10 years of marriage or not, but anyway. The point is this, right? This kind of stuff would not have happened in Bible days. We re read names and we have to remind ourselves they're chosen for a specific meaning, okay? You'd be really intentional in your choice because the name was saying something about that person. So as God moves upon Isaiah and Isaiah begins to prophesy and speak out four names, four titles uh, that belong to Jesus, God is communicating to us in that something significant and specific in each name about the person of Jesus. He's revealing something of who he is. He's revealing something of what he's like. He's revealing something of what he does. And so this is where the well-known words come from that we often read at Christmas in Isaiah 9 verse 6, which says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Four names. One, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of Peace. I want to take one today. I don't want to talk about Jesus, our wonderful counselor. God showed Isaiah that Christmas would mark the birth of a wonderful counselor. Now, there are two English words that uh, we use. They come from, sorry, those two English words we use come from two Hebrew words, Pele and Yoez. Okay, so Pele, which is an interesting kind of thing when you think about the footballer. Um, but Pele, just don't think about the footballer. It's actually a word, wonderful, which is a name of Jesus. And it means this. It means that Jesus is beyond understanding. It means that he's actually too wonderful for words. He's extraordinary. He is a wonder. Is there an amen in the house today? You know, that's what we say. We sing that song. You are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. He is Pele. He is wonderful. And then we get this word, uh, Yoez. So Isaiah is initially like, what he's literally actually doing is he's using a word that's saying, I'm actually using a word that says there are no words to describe him. That's what he's actually saying. So I'm trying, I'm... He's Pele. He's just like, there's, I can't, there's no word to actually describe how awesome he is. And he says, not only is this Jesus going to be wonderful, he's going to be the gift of Yoez. He's going to be the gift, which means he's going to be one who is going to advise, consult, direct, or guide. We used to have this game with our children. I couldn't for the life of me remember what it was called. I should have asked Claire. But we used to get these like little... Um, wind up like little toys and there was like a, a, a maze 
and you used to like you just used to wind them up and used to put in there and they like that kind of thing and they made their way around the course the first one to get to the center but what they'd done their whole journey was defined by bumping into things i can't remember what it was called Bugs in the kitchen, thank you very much. Bugs in the kitchen. And so they, you would put them in, and what would happen is they, they, their journey to where they needed to be was defined by bumping into things. Every time they bumped into something, they realized there was a need for a change of course or direction. And so I kind of think, man, you know, sometimes, naturally, life for some people can feel a bit like that. It's only as we begin to bump into things, we think, oh, no, there's a need for a change of direction or there's a better way. Every now and then, they'd end up under, up a cul-de-sac. Anyone ever feel like they've finished? up up a cul-de-sac and and you know you would just you would you would you would intervene because you wanted to win the game and you would you would you would spin it and you would set it on the right course and and I think the point of what I'm trying to get across to you is this that God is trying to reveal to us that his heart for us was never to make our way through life bumping into things kind of going through life going oh no I've gone up a dead end, I've gone up a cul-de-sac, I've bumped into it, I need a change of direction, there must be a better way. But actually, the, 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 the Jesus is the very one who is able to kind of just reach down and redirect and actually show us the way and actually walk with us and, and talk with us. And so this word yoez is actually, it's, it's kind of relational language, it's an invitation to follow Jesus, to hear his voice, to know his wisdom his yoes, his advice, his consulting, his directing, his guiding. And so he is Pele Yoez means it's bringing together. He is both awesome and majestic and yet intimate and relational. The person of Jesus born in that stable. Awesome, mighty God. And yet the very one who wants to walk with us and talk with us. Beyond description, yet advising, consulting, directing, and guiding our life. And Isaiah begins to look way down the line. And he catches a glimpse of, and, and of, of longing for the coming birth of Christ. And the beautiful thing is this, friends. We now live the other side of this prophecy. A day which Isaiah could only long for, we now live in the fulfillment of. The child has been born. The son has been given. We live in the fulfillment. That means right now, there is the gift, there is the wonder of wonderful counsel available to my life. Accessible to me today in the person of Jesus. To know the one so beautiful that he's beyond comprehension, yet so close he's just guiding, directing, because he walks with me and he talks with me. And what this prophecy, what God is calling us to see is that this word Pele is trying, to, is trying to help us see everything is just on another level with Jesus. So he's incomparably greater. So it's, it's kind of superlative laden. He's not just, he is the quote, wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace. John Barnett said Pele indicates something uncommon or out of the ordinary. It reflects a phenomenon laying outside the realm of human explanation. It is something that cannot be explained. In other words, I begin to find a counsel in the person of Jesus that is out of the ordinary. It's beyond human explanation. It's unexplainable. It's supernatural. And so 
It means it's above mere psychology. It's above uh, human counseling, as helpful as those things can be. And actually, friends, I think there's some really great therapy out there and I, I'm, uh, that I'm a fan of. But actually, what we're drawn to see here is that earthly psychology and counseling will always have its limits because it's human level stuff. We're only human, but everything in Jesus is on another level. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 46 and 47, we find him just age 12, we're told, astounding the teachers of the day with his wisdom. You know, guys, learned guys who'd spent hours studying his 12-year-old Jesus, astounding them with his wisdom. Matthew 13, verse 54, Jesus, grow, is, Jesus is growing uh, and teaching, and it says there, quote, people are astonished, and quote, ask this question, where did this man get this wisdom? Colossians 2, chapter 3, Paul writes, In him lies hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. How many treasures of wisdom and knowledge? All. That means, as I just touched on earlier, that Jesus is literally the only one who has the answer and the solution for everything. Because in him lie all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So those times in your life, I don't know if you ever have them or not, but those times in your life when you don't know what to do, and you can't seem to find anyone else who knows what to do, the good news is this, Jesus does know what to do. And he wants to walk with me, guide me, direct me through. So Isaiah 11 verse 2, speaking of him, says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Isaiah 28, 29 tells us, He is the Lord of hosts who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. And so kind of here's where I'm landing this Christmas time, which has been kind of on my heart a lot of late. And that's really simply this, listening to Jesus' voice and hearing him speak is everything. That's really what I want you to take away today. Listening to his voice and hearing him speak is everything. Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. They are literally life-giving. There is literally life in hearing his voice. John 6, verse 68, Peter says to Jesus, To whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So we need to hear the counselor's voice. We need to hear what is he saying to us. We need to hear the wonderful one. And so you begin to think about all the desires of the Father for you this morning. And I just want to put it to us, and I'll just show us something in a minute. That actually, I believe right at the top of the Father's desire for your life is that you would hear the voice of Jesus. So you think about Peter, James, and John, and I read this just recently, um, and it just struck me. They're up the mountain with Jesus. We're at the Transfiguration. They have this incredible encounter, and Moses and Elijah turn up just like they do in your bedroom at home every day when you're spending time with him. You know, it's next-level stuff that we're talking about. This incredible encounter up the mountain. We'll just touch on that. Mark 9 says, After six days, Peter, uh, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to him Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. I mean, he's just like, whoa. 
Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. I mean, let's stay up here. This is. For he did know what he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. I mean, it's just like lost for words, really. And Peter and James and John, this incredible encounter, they're blown away. How many people know that in this moment, God has their attention big time? Big time. If ever there was a moment that the father would be able to communicate to them something so important that he really wanted them to take away because he's got their full attention blown away as we're at the top of this mountain. What does he want them to take from this moment? Verse 7 says, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud and said, This is my beloved son. Note these next three words. Listen to him. Listen to him. Right up there. The Father wants us to know that listening to Jesus, hearing Him speak, hearing His counsel, hearing His voice is everything. If there's three words you might take away from this today, friends, listen to Jesus. Wonderful counsel resides in Him. So I need to be asking, Jesus, what are you saying? Jesus, what do you want to say to me? I need to come into His presence, positioning myself to say I'm ready to listen and respond to your voice. Now, there's some great stuff out there on this. And I just recently um, came across some brilliant stuff from Mark chapter 4 by a guy called Michael, and I'm going to probably absolutely mess up his surname, uh, Kulianos. And he was speaking from Mark chapter 4, verse 24. And I, so I just want to touch on that and credit him for that as I read that because I was really just spoke to me. He said, from Mark 4, verse 24, then he, Jesus, said to them, Take heed what you hear with the same measure you use. Use what? What you hear. It will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. And then he said this. We get to choose how much we hear Jesus based on the way we approach Jesus. We get to choose how much we hear based on the way we approach Jesus. So my approach to him is vital. Because what we're touching on here, his voice, if you, as Basil will say, if you just track with me for a moment, his voice is measured by my desire, my willingness to carefully listen to what he is saying and my response to what he is saying. It will be measured to you. With the same measure you use, what you hear, it will be measured to you and to you who hear more will be given. Are you with me this morning? Am I making sense? So then he said this. He said, if we come into his presence or into church in a kind of checker box kind of mindset, that's how he'll speak to us. If I come into his presence in a lackadaisical manner, he will speak to me accordingly. But guys like David in Psalm chapter uh, 5 and verse 3, Caught a different heart because he said, in the morning I will prepare a prayer and a sacrifice for you and watch and wait for you to speak to my heart. He positioned himself in a whole different way in how he approached Jesus. And the way he approached Jesus birthed an expectation. The Greek word in Psalm 5 means I'm waiting expectantly. The way he approached him birthed an expectation that he was going to hear his voice. So I want us to think about how do we approach our Bible? How do we approach our prayer time? How do we approach those times 
when we come to worship him. When we open our Bible, do we just say, right, what can I see? Or do we actually need to come to it like Bill Johnson says, which says, right, let's see what I can hear. Jesus, what do you want to say to me? Most people, let's see what I can see. But what about let's see what I can hear? When I come to pray, when I come to worship, Jesus, what are you saying? We can all read the Bible. Anyone can see what it says, but not everyone can hear what it's saying. A guy called Eric Gilmore says the Pharisees knew what God said, but they didn't know what God was saying. And so this thought kind of just struck me this week. Do you know God was the first person to ever release an audio book? He was way ahead of Amazon and Kindle. What if we begun to say, let's see what I can hear? Let me give you just a few scriptures we're, we're getting through. Matthew 13 verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him be listening and let him consider and perceive and comprehend by hearing. James 1 verse 5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. I want to read Proverbs chapter 2 from the message. Tune your ears to the world of wisdom. Set your heart on a life of understanding. That's right. If you make insight your priority and won't take no for an answer, Searching for it like a prospector panning for gold, like an adventurer on a treasure hunt. Believe me, before you know it, fear of God will be yours. You'll have come upon the knowledge of God. And here's why. God gives out wisdom free. He's plain spoken in knowledge and understanding. He's a rich mine of common sense for those who live well. A personal bodyguard to the candid and sincere. He keeps his eye on all who live honestly and pays special attention to his loyally committed ones. So now you can pick out what's true and fair. Find all the good trails. Lady Wisdom will be your close friend. Brother Knowledge, your pleasant companion. Good sense will scout ahead for danger. Insight will keep an eye out for you. They'll keep you from making wrong turns or following the bad directions of those who are lost themselves and can't tell a trail from a tumbleweed. Travelling paths that go nowhere. Wandering in a maze of detours and dead ends. He wants to guide. And in the footnote of Mark chapter 4, in some versions of the Bible, you, some of you may have it, it just says the measure you give will be the measure you get back. And remember there, the context is listening to Jesus. So the more I give myself to hear him speak, the more I'll hear his voice coming back. But Mark 4 then develops it even further because he talks about what we do with what we hear determines how much we hear. Take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use what you hear, it will be measured to you, and to you who hear, more will be given. So hearing, okay, just stay with me. Hearing is vital to knowing what to do. You can't do what you haven't first heard. Okay? So right responses are flowing from right hearing. But doing what I hear is key to hearing more. So Mark 4 begins to teach me, the more I respond to what Jesus is saying, the more his voice in my life increases. The more, with the, what I do with it, the more I use it, it will be measured to me. And to you who hear, more will be given. Now, I know, and we all know, that there are times when, honestly, Jesus will ask us and tell us to do things we don't want to hear. And in your heart, you might say, I really don't want to hear that. 
It might mean that relationship's got to end or that decision's got to be made. Whatever it looks like. And we feel we don't like it or we don't understand it. But friends, if we want his voice to increase in our life, we need to respond to what he's asking us to do. So I'm just asking myself again, what am I doing with the words God has spoken to me? What are we doing as a church with the words God's spoken to us? Not letting them fall away, but grabbing a hold of them, doing something with the things that God is speaking to us about. See, if I'm reading Mark 4 correctly, stuff like that increases his voice in my life and hearing him speaks. Obedience is vital to hearing him. And so as I kind of begin to tie this together, I just want us to see that actually there's so much in Scripture about hearing his voice. There's even Scriptures that tell us actually if we don't hear him and respond to what he's saying, we'll regret it. Uh, Isaiah 48 says, This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I'm the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you'd paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. The message says, I am God, your God, who teaches you how to live right and well. I show you what to do and where to go. Love that. If you had listened all along to what I told you, your life would have flowed like a full river. Blessings rolling in like waves from the sea. How many people think that sounds good? Peace like a river. Blessings rolling in like waves from the sea. How do I get into that, God? That sounds fantastic. You need to hear the counselor's voice. You need to respond to what he's asking you to do. Let him lead. Let him yoez in your life. Let him advise and consult and direct and guide. Follow what I've heard people call his inclinations and his invitations. When, when you feel the Spirit speaking to you, a, a song to sing, a prayer to pray, a decision to be made, a, an invitation that you need to respond to. Because Romans 8 tells us that all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. We've got to be led. That means I can't try and get ahead of him in what I think is right, in what I think I should do in this situation, in my ideas and my decisions. But I need to follow his direction. I need to let him lead. I need to let him advise and consult and direct because the sons of God are led by the Spirit. They don't go ahead of the Spirit. And so as I really just now wrap this up, I just come back to John chapter 10 and the famous imagery of when Jesus is talking about him as the shepherd and us as the sheep. And he says, the sheep, us, hear his voice, Jesus. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. Andy, perhaps you can come down, please. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. I love us just to sing you a beautiful beyond description again. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know, they do not recognize the voice of strangers. Verse 27 says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I'm just thinking there, sitting to myself this week and thinking, do you know what? Sometimes I make what it means to be a Christian so much more complicated than it actually is. Jesus said, follow me. Well, I can only follow someone and I can only hear their voice if I'm within close proximity. If I want to follow them well, the more distance I allow in, the harder it gets to follow. When they take that turn, it's not until I take that turn. I don't know where that, you know, which way did they go? You know, when there's distance, it becomes harder. You're, you're, pardon? What did you say? You, or you miss here, you miscatch what's being said. But this invitation from Jesus to follow me, it's really saying like, remain with me, stay close to me, stay in step with me, keep your eyes on me, be in sync with me. 
And Jesus is calling us this Christmas time, just again, back to a truth that his life and his leading issues from his presence. Everything issues from his presence. It flows from his presence. And so I can't follow him if I'm not hearing him. I can't follow him if my eyes are not upon him. So that means I have to be close to him. And so if I want to hear his wonderful counsel, if I want to hear that into my life, I have to see that actually spending time with him and positioning myself to just say, I want to hear you speak, is everything. Getting in his presence. Getting behind him. That's what, follow me, just even in, doesn't it? It just says that. Just get, just get in behind me. Just be led by me. Don't try and get alongside me. Don't try and get ahead of me. Just follow me. I mean, even Peter, when he, we know, didn't he, when he thought, you know, that he was doing God a favor and there's just been this tremendous revelation. Next thing, you know, Jesus is having to rebuke him because there's something in us and the enemy wants to promote it that, that, that will try and sort of like push you ahead of Jesus and his purpose and plans. Jesus says, no, you get behind me, follow me. And, and so this life is about following him. Let him lead. And so Christmas just reminds us that he's the wonderful counselor. He is Pele Yoez. He is Jesus, beyond understanding, too wonderful for words. He's extraordinary. He's a wonder. And he's the one who advises, consults, directs, and guides. Why don't we just stand to our feet and just, I'd love us just to sing this song one more time. If you can take three words from today's sermon. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Let him lead. Follow him. Let's just worship and then we'll just finish with the closing notes.